So we're in Luke chapter 8 talking about, we're going to talk about Jesus' family. But I actually want to start at the end of my notes and work my way up. And we'll end there. So start in Ephesians chapter 1. And I'm literally looking at the bottom page of my notes that I'll go through. And we will end in uh, Luke chapter 8. And so I want to, instead of start with an idea and build on it, I want to start with the end idea and, and keep talking about how we got to that point. Okay? And so today we're talking about family, which is a very difficult topic for all of us. And we're talking about Jesus' family. And Jesus is going to look at, he's going to kind of contrast or look at biological family versus spiritual family. And so let's start in Ephesians chapter 1. And I just want to read through real quick on the topic of family. And I want to just point out what the Lord has to say about the church as a family. I'm going to skip through a couple things. Look at Ephesians chapter 1. Look at verse 2. It says, Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so verse 2 says, Grace and peace to you from God, our... What's the word right there? Father, right? And, and in the Lord Jesus Christ, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing... In Christ, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his what sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. And so this is what I want to do. We'll just I'll just pause there. When you talk about the word family. Boy, it carries a lot with it, right? Like you can, like even now you can feel the room getting a little, the temperature changing in the room, right? Family is difficult. Family is complicated. And so what I want to do is I want to look at when Jesus talks about this idea of family, he's, he's starting to make a transition, which we'll get to. And I want to point out that our culture places a lot of um, ideas and a lot of the, the difficulty and a lot of um, just ideas that aren't actually there with the idea of family, specifically with a church family. Because you cannot read, like, I didn't even go very far in Ephesians. Like, we can keep going. You can't read the New Testament and walk away and say, it's really supposed to just be me and Jesus. I'm going to repeat that. You can't truly read God's Word and conclude, it's just about me and Jesus, okay? And, and it sounds great, doesn't it? Like, you see it all the time. Like yesterday, I was in traffic, and on the back of someone's uh, car, their bumper sticker says, he is greater than, what is it? Who is it? Me, right? He, or he is greater than I. Now listen, hey, that makes a great bumper sticker, doesn't it? He is greater than me. Man, that sounds really selfless, right? That's a, it, and doesn't that sound, won't that preach? He is greater than me. And I could even get a tattoo of that. If you got the tattoo, sorry, I'm making fun of you right now. But guys, listen, in that scenario, listen to this. If we walk around and that's, that's the totality of our relationships, is he is greater than I, who are the only two people in the relationship? You and who? Jesus. And hear me say this, it is not just you and Jesus. Sorry. I don't care what the world tells you. I don't even tell what, I don't care what a religious world tells you. It's not just you and Jesus. You are not in isolation. Right? And I'll even say a word that we're not supposed to say. Your sin does not just affect you. Okay? Right? 
I know we don't talk about sin, right? Because God is grace, 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 and love, love, love. No, he's not. The Bible never calls him grace, 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 and love, love, love. The Bible calls him Isaiah 6. What is it? Holy, holy, holy. And we are called to this holiness. And we have been made perfect in Christ. He has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. And so my whole point is this. If you are trying to coast through life, you will believe that it's just you and Jesus. And here's what I want to say is that when the Bible talks about family, it's talking about God's group of people coming together, right? And so today, when I, even when I use the word family, clearly I'm not just talking about uh, Mary and Jesus' brothers and his half-sisters and, and Joseph, right? We're talking about the church. We're talking about the people of God. But if you notice, our culture is, it talks big about the church, but we completely divorce it from the biblical idea of family. And so I want to talk about like four lies that we believe. And so here's the first one. And these lies aren't building on each other. I'm starting at the end and I'm working backwards. I'll say that again. So here's the number four. Yeah, not number one. Here's number four. Here's the big lie about your church family. We're going to agree on everything. Sorry to burst your bubble. This is the big lie about the church family. We will agree on everything, right? And, and here's the difficulty of that, is when you live in a religious culture, which there's churches everywhere, which actually is not a bad thing, by the way, okay? The church is supposed to be a local organization, a, a local expression of that group of people around that area. But the problem is that we have this thing called church shopping, and what you can do is we go around and we say, what does your church offer me? And people will do this. We'll, we'll sit and we'll listen, and it's almost like we try to find something we disagree with and then we throw up our hands and we say, oh, I'm out of here, right? Can I guarantee you something? If I sit down with you for 10 minutes, I can find something we disagree on. Like, you know that, right? I absolutely guarantee it. And hear me say this, guys. We can disagree on lots of things and still be under one family. Please follow me on that. What is the one thing we cannot disagree on? Jesus Christ is the head, okay? Um, in, even in Colossians, you don't have to go there, but Paul uses this um, illustration as the church is a body. And it's the same thing in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And he talks about in this body, here's the great thing about a body, is it's made up of different parts. And he goes on, go read 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and he says, man, the, the whole point is that we're not all supposed to look exactly the same. We're not all supposed to be passionate about the same thing. But do you want to know what every single part of the body has in common? Is every single part of the body, if you remove it from the head, what does it do? It dies. So the only thing that we have in common is the head, which is Jesus Christ. Okay? So what does this mean? I know it sounds like I'm going down one path here. It sounds like that, um, well, I'll, I'll say it this way. A couple weeks ago, I pointed out, that I'm just not real passionate about apologetics. That's just a personal thing of mine, okay? And um, afterwards, and I have his permission to share the story. Afterwards, Cademan came up and he talked to me about apologetics. And, and he's very, he's, he's very well-spoken on it and very well-educated and probably knows more than I do. And we concluded that Cademan is passionate about apologetics. And the conclusion was, I am not passionate about apologetics. And you know what we did? We shook hands and said, well, we're enemies now. This is over. <laughs> no, like, like it, it's this beautiful thing 
that he came up and he got to speak into something that he was excited about. And I got to see his excitement. And I got to say, man, you keep doing that thing. Like, I'm not trying to change your mind to have my same passion. Do you see that? Instead, I said, you do that thing. You know, we agree on the head, right? If he comes up and says, hey, this Jesus thing, I'm not too sure about that. That's a different story, right? But like, that was the point is that we both realized we're going to be passionate about different things. And we, we shook hands and said, and we're still friends, right? Do y'all see that? And it's like, just be aware. Just keep your eyes open to this temptation that when you come to be a part of a church family, Sometimes we'll look at what the church family is doing and we'll say, well, I'm not passionate about that. Well, then do what you're passionate about. Are you with me on this? You don't need the church family's permission to do you, right? When you are passionate about apologetics, man, go apologize to people. I'm just kidding. That's not what it's called. That was a stupid thing to say. But you know what I mean. Like, man, but, but if you don't pay attention, you'll think we all have to agree on everything, right? And so... Let me tack this on here as well because I want to make the room really uncomfortable. Hey, let's talk about racial diversity for a second. All right, everybody got really, how did I get there, right? Okay, pay attention to this. There is a false teaching going around that is starting to idolize diversity, okay? And, and I'll approach this very carefully, so please, if I speak carefully, will you listen carefully? Okay, so... Is God after every tribe, nation, tongue on earth? Absolutely. Will heaven, there will be every single nation. Will there be every skin color? Will, will there be every single uh, language? Yes. Okay, so listen carefully. Does that mean that one of our primary goals as a local church should be to get a lot of people of different color in this room together? Hear me say this. No. <gasps> You, you want to know why? Is, and here's why. Is a couple years ago, we did a demographic study. We paid to have someone look at the demographics around our church. They drew a three, five-mile circle around our, where we're located. And as a result, guess what is the predominant race in our area? White folk. It was like 98, 99% white people. Okay, now let's, let me address this too. Is that a bad thing? No. Like, we've got to stop being so afraid of this, right? So listen, if I look around, and if our church is 98% white folk, Sasha's here today, so it's pretty accurate. Sorry, was that too, was that too much? <laughs> you weren't even paying attention, were you? Okay, good. That's it. Well, what we want to do is like when we look around our geographic area, our church should be reflective of our geographic area. And so in the same way as if I go to Rwanda, my guess is that church is going to be mostly people with really dark skin. Is that a bad thing? No. Here, our demographic is 98% white people. So if our church is 98% white people, is that a bad thing? No, right? If, if we go to a different part of town that the part of town we're in is, is like 50% Hispanic, 50% white people, our church should probably be 50% white and 50% Hispanic. Are y'all following me on this? But just pay attention because you're starting to see churches make that ideal of diversity. They're making it an idol. And they'll, they'll really will say, Hey, we need to get 
different colored people in this room. Well, why? Because we need different colored people in the room. Well, but is that a reflection of your neighborhood? Is that, is that a reflection of where you are? If the answer is no, then, then it has become an idol. Are y'all following me on this? Some of y'all disagree, and that's okay. I can feel it getting uncomfortable. But guys, that's what the local church is. is it's just a circle. You draw a circle around this area, and you say, whoever's in this area, let's church together. Let's be the people, you know? And so anyways, when I say that we will, we will not agree on everything, that means, yeah, we're, we may have some disagreements on what we're passionate about. That means we may look different. We may have different economic scales. We may have a bunch of different skin colors. We may even have people that speak different languages. And all of those are good and great things, but none of those are the thing. Are y'all following me on that? But just pay attention because you'll see it over and over in churches. We must be diverse. We must be diverse. Your neighborhood is a bunch of rich white people. Well, we got to be diverse. Probably not. You need to be your people. You need to be the neighborhood. Anyways, sorry, I'll move on. So that's number four. So that is built upon the idea of, here's lie number three. It's built upon the idea that I will commit to this family until I get hurt. I will commit to this family until I get hurt. Which, by the way, at that point, to commit actually isn't, that's actually not the definition of committing to anything. Okay? Now, now the reason I say this is because we live in a, a victim and oppressor world. Y'all know this, right? We live in a, uh, in our culture, it's very dichotomous thinking. It's either one or the other. And in our world is if I can get labeled the victim, that means then you are the what? Oppressor. And you have oppressed me. And this thinking has made its way into the church as well. And, and the reason I want to point this out is, guys, that's not a family. A family is not that I commit until I get uncomfortable or I get hurt. And let me say it this way, and I want to be very sensitive here. There's plenty of people in the church, in the church family everywhere, that would look at you and say, man, I have been hurt by the church. And I'm not trying to um, discredit your, the story. I, I'm not trying to say toughen up or get over it. But I, but I am trying to say, if you have been hurt by the church, and, and please, please, I'm, I'm trying to be loving. If you've truly been hurt by the church, man, get in line. And this is what I'm telling you. We have all been hurt by the church. Do you want to know why? Because it's made of people, right? There's, years ago, there was that show on, it was the series called Band of Brothers. Do you all remember that? That it followed a platoon in World War II. Y'all remember that? It was like a series of DVDs. I think it was like 10 or 12 episodes, and each episode was like an hour or something. It was pretty cool, you know? It, it, you've got it. You may own it. I mean, it wasn't life-changing, but I watched it. And I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. And I remember there's this one episode that there's this one guy that he gets, he's kind of a new guy, and he gets injured, and he gets sent to the hospital. And after he's recovered, after a couple of weeks, he comes back to his platoon, and they're back in, you know, they're in the field, they're on the front lines, and he is expecting, because of his injury, he's expecting to get special treatment, okay? He comes back to the men on the front line, and, and his commanding officer is giving him his orders, and he says, hey, man, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of got an injury here, and the commanding officer stands with her, and he says, you see that guy right there? He's got shrapnel in his thigh. You, you see that guy right there? He can't hear right now because his eardrums are ruptured because of an explosion. And, and he says, you see that guy right there? He's walking with a limp because he fractured his ankle. And, and his point is, brother, we have 
all been hurt. But there's still a mission to be done, right? And, and what he's lovingly, well, not real lovingly, because it, it was the army. He says, your, your injury, your, your pain does not disqualify you from um, service, man. And so why am I saying this? Because one of the great lies in the family of, of church is that I will commit until I get hurt. Can I make a promise to you? You will get hurt. Can I promise that? Like, the only promise I make, the only promise Russell makes is I will let you down at some point. I sw- like, I, I promise that. And I don't mean I'm going to cut your brake lines or egg your house or something, but I mean I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to forget to call on your birthday, or, or I'm going to say something in jest that shouldn't be said in jest, or I'm going to talk about racism and make people uncomfortable like I did seven minutes ago, Right? <laughs> And, and, and I promise, this is a promise, if you stick around long enough, you're, you're going to get hurt at some point, okay? But, the, uh, but a family, what a family does is we say, hey, I'm going to fight for this relationship, okay? If, if the moment you get hurt, you walk away, you were never part of a family. You were part of a club, right? And that's what we're talking about, man, Jesus is trying to build up a family, here, okay, so let's go backwards even more. Let's go to my second point, okay? So we said the end result is we believe we agree on everything. We only believe that way is if, if we believe that I'll commit until I get hurt. So back up. How do we even get to that point? How, did, how do we get there? The second thing I want to point out is that if you believe that, that you are the center of the family, then all of those other things will fall into place. Think about this. If you believe that you're the center of the family then you'll commit as long as you get hurt, and then you'll assume that we agree on everything, right? And so I'll say it this way, um, man, our feelings and your comfort does not define the family. Is this true of any family? Yeah, right? And the reason I say this is because this is one of the lies that is being preached even in the church. Think about it. The moment you get uncomfortable... What do, what do most of us do? Not most of us, I shouldn't say. What do many of us do? I'm just out of here. You know, my commitment is only as long as my comfort. Right? The, the, moment, <laughs> yeah. the, the moment you say something that makes me uncomfortable, I'm out of here. Right? So go to Hebrews chapter 12 real quick. We'll look at how this played out in the early church as well. And we will end up in Luke again. Hebrews chapter 12, head to the right. I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. So we live in a world right now that's trying to convince you that your comfort is the center of the family, that even in the church, that your feelings and your comfort are the center of the church. And the moment we feel uncomfortable, we're out of there. And, and, and again, then we believe things like God will never make you uncomfortable. He'll, he'll, never draw, he'll never push you to get out of your comfort zone. And you know the slowest death is comfort. Y'all know that, right? And so as a result... We will build up walls around our, our, our heart to protect ourselves. And as a result, uh, in a long enough time, we realize those walls we built, we've actually just built a coffin around our heart. And, and we do this because we're pursuing comfort. We think, let me put comfort at the center of everything, right? And so look at Hebrews chapter 10. Um, 
Look at verse 22. So this is the writer of Hebrews talking to the church in um, Jerusalem. He says, Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess For he who promised is faithful, and let us consider how we may, look at the words right here, spur one another on towards love and good deeds. So if your Bible says spur one another on, that's a great translation. Think about what it means to spur on a horse. Like you have these things on your the the heels, and, and to spur on a horse, you know what I can promise you? is the horse is not going, ooh, that's comfortable. Mmm, do that again, right? What, what it means to spur someone on in the English language and in the original Greek, what it means to spur one another on means that we are provoking one another towards irritation. Did you hear what I just said? Does that sound comfortable? No. This is a command from Scripture, is that we are to push one another out of our comfort zones. That we are to push one another past our feelings. But if you believe the, the idea that my comfort is the center of the family, you'll never get spurred on. You'll stay in your little comfort zone right there and you'll wake up fat and happy one day, having never actually lived, right? You know the, the quote, every man dies, not every man truly lives, right? If we never spur one another on, and then look here, immediately he says this, Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. And so again, all this is just in the shadow of that false teaching of that my comfort is the center of the family, right? And that that when we feel the Lord calling us to do something, how many of us have done this? You don't have to raise your hand because I know the answer is that we filter it through this. Well, am I comfortable doing that? Right? And and the resulting argument will sound like this. Uh, I don't really feel comfortable saying that. I don't feel really comfortable doing that with my time. I don't feel comfortable. Do you realize when we do that, what is at the center of the family? My comfort. My feelings. Okay, so let's go to the the number one thing I wanted to point out. So the, the end result is that we think we agree on everything. How we get there is number three. We say, I'll commit until I get hurt. Well, how do we get there? Because we say that our comfort is the center of the family. And, and how, do we, how do we arrive at that point? Number one is that we believe, and this is the false teaching, we believe that we choose our family based on our needs. Is that we believe we choose our family based on our needs. So finally, go to Luke chapter 8. This is where we said we'd arrive at. So Luke chapter 8. Jesus is going to talk about family, and he's going to say something about it that is actually, it's pretty surprising. Okay, so look at Luke chapter 8. This is after Jesus has been preaching. Verse 19, it says, now Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him. Okay, so pause there. So his mother, Mary, and his brothers, those would be his half-brothers, we know and for sure that Jesus had brothers. He had at least four brothers, it says in the other Gospels. Those are 
his half-brothers from Joseph and Mary, no problem there. And we also know that Jesus had some half-sisters as well, okay? We don't, we're not sure of how many, but you'll see this regularly. Uh, we also know that Jesus' mother and brothers, at times, they, they didn't really understand what he was doing. At times, they didn't even believe him. But then we also know eventually they end up becoming believers, and several of his brothers became leaders in the early church, okay? So it says, now Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him. So that's his biological mothers and brothers. But they were not able to get near him because of the crowd. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to see you. Okay, so pause here. Jesus sees this instance. He sees this physical image. Here's his physical mom and his half-brothers. And he sees, hey, man, he realizes that he is at a time of transition. Jesus says, I'm at a time of transition, that we are transitioning from, um, let me throw some big theology at you, we're transitioning from, uh, 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 from Israel into the church. We're at a time of transition that we're going from descendants of Abraham to spiritual descendants. And so he uses this time as an opportunity to, hey, let me teach some truth about what the family of God is about to look like. So do you notice how interesting it is that when he's talking about what God's kingdom is going to look like, what does he choose as his example? His family, okay? And so he's going to take this moment as a time for transition. Let me transition my teaching uh, to people to start to understand we're moving from Israel to the church. And look what he says. His response if you don't understand that, this response sounds like a complete jerk move. Like he sounds extremely offensive. But look at his response. He replied. He said, my mother and brothers are those who, look at this, hear God's word and put it into practice. Okay, so do you see what he's done there? He's taken the idea of family and he went from biological Abraham to starting to transition into, hey, this is what the family of God is going to be. It is, it is not that we have the same uh, physical bloodline. It's not that we all have the same last name. It's that we have the same spiritual father. Do you see what he's done there? And, so, and then based off of that, now again, guys, don't miss this. Based off of that idea, that's, our, our culture gets all these false ideas about family. You know that one that I said was we'll agree on everything, we'll commit until I get hurt, I'll, uh, my comfort is the center of the family, and then the, the number one, well, one of the biggest issues we take to the church about family is we say, I will choose my family based on my needs, right? Man, that is not how a family works. You know you don't choose your family, right? Right? Some of y'all are smiling, some of y'all are trying not to cry, that's fair. Let me say that again. You know you don't choose your family, right? What, who chooses your family? Your common father. That's what a family is, okay? And the reason this is so significant is because we, in, in our world, what we have right now is we do this thing called church shopping, and we go around, and we all fall prey to it, is we go and we say, what do you provide for me, right? I, and what we're saying is I am going to choose the church body that I'm going to be a part of based on what? My needs. Based on what? My comforts. And that will determine my commitment, which will then mean everybody should look exactly like me. Right? Can, can, I, get, uh, 
can I step on some toes here real quick? Okay, I'm glad nobody said no. Sorry. Like, when we start building churches off of our needs, then we start making churches gathered around um, our hobbies. Okay? So, and there literally are churches that it's like, there's one, it's called the Biker Church. I don't even know if anyone goes. But it's like our common commonality is that we all ride motorcycles. Okay? And, and then there's a thing called the Cowboy Church. I'm not a fan. I don't think it's biblical. Why? Because what's our common thing that brings us together? That we all like to ride horses. Guys, that, that's not what a church is built upon. A church is built upon we have one Father. And we have one head, which is Jesus Christ. And by the way, I don't go shop around and choose the church based on what I want. If that's your mentality, you're looking for a country club. You're not looking for a church. If that's your mentality, I'd, go, I'd recommend Holly Tree. They have great child care. They have, you can go play golf. They have that big pool thing, and they have tennis courts. Like, I, like for real, there's great country clubs around here. But look for this in our culture is that like church, <laughs> what we've done to the bride of Christ is we've made it a competitive sport where you've got different churches like competing and doing different putting on different circuses to try to attract more people. And then you have people with this mindset of, I will come as long as my needs are met, rather than I'm going to serve at a church where I'm getting to use my gifts. right? And so let me point out also, last thing I'll say, if, you're not, if you come to a church just to, just to consume, you're not going to last. Sorry, you won't. This is why men especially are so bored of church attendance. Because it's that, it's church attendance. Right? This, this is why the church is losing men drastically. Because the expectation is we say, hey, if you're a really good boy, what it means to be a man of God is you come, you sit down, you shut up, you don't say anything, and if you're really super spiritual, maybe you put some money in. Am I making this up? I mean, like for real. Like this is why the church is lo- one of the reasons the church is losing men. Rather than men, we need you to come and do what you do. You know, Cademan, you're about apologetics, then apologize. Like, do your thing, bro. Like, we need you to do that thing, right? And same thing is with women, too. I'm not just picking on women, but I'm telling you, this is one of the reasons that we're losing men. Do you want to destroy the heart of a man? Do you want to know how to do that? Is you ask him to do a seemingly pointless task for all eternity. You will destroy the heart of that man. I guarantee it. That's what the Nazis used to do in prison camps. If they really wanted to break a man down, you know what they did? Is they gave him a shovel and they said, dig a hole. And then when he dug the hole, do you know what they said? They said, now fill it in. And now do it again. Guys, this is what the Nazis would do to break men's spirits. And if you're paying attention, this is what religion has done to the bride of Christ. Show up. Sit there. Leave. Now do it again. Show up. Sit there. Leave. Now do it again. And so let me speak on behalf of the family. Man, we need your gifts. We need you to serve. We need you to be using your hands. Right? Like, and, and you will find life when you're doing that. I cannot stand just showing up and sitting. I can't stand it. I want to do something. And that's what we're made to do. That's what we're designed to do. You will find incredible life. And that's when the body really starts working. You know what I mean? When every part's doing its job. 
Like every part, even the tiny insignificant. Have you ever stubbed your baby pinky toe? Like you can't walk for a day and a half. I'm like, well, that thing doesn't even do anything until it's not functioning. The church is the same way, right? So, um, guys, let me just remind you that, that this church, and, and we're going to be a family. I mean that. And so what that means is we're going to commit to help raise each other's families. We're going to commit to be in each other's lives. That means that we're going to commit that I, I might even put, this is crazy, I might even put your needs above my own. I might even put your feelings above my own. Isn't that, isn't that unbelievable? I might even recognize we're not all going to be the same, right? And so this, I don't know, maybe this is a call to action. I don't know why Jesus compared the church to a family, but he did. But guard your heart against what the culture is saying about family because it's not the correct idea. It is not, especially in the church. And so um, that's all I have for us. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for today, and thank you um, for just your truth, and thank you for family. God, I pray that we would find peace and comfort in that, that, that we should find comfort in the idea of that this is a family, not that, we're, that we are committed to one another as long as we agree with everything, and not that we're committed as long as my feelings aren't hurt, like that we should find peace in the fact that, that we are committed to one another because this is what we're called to do. And Lord, that when our feelings get hurt, not if, Jesus, when our feelings get hurt, when we get uncomfortable, when someone does something that upsets us, that we would say, hey, it's okay. We're, we're people of grace and we're people of commitment and we press on. Lord, I, I pray that and, and that we would just understand that, that like, like a battle, like a battle-worn soldier, like we just press on, Lord. And and some of us need healing, and that's okay. And and some of us need need to get off the couch. Some of us need to get back to work. And so I pray that where that's needed, that we would spur one another on, that we could provoke one another towards love and good deeds, Lord. And so and. And all of this uh, for your name, not, not so we look great, not so we would look impressive, but all of this for your name, Lord. And so this is our prayer, um, God, this is, uh, we pray this in your name, we pray this for your name, amen.